The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jonathan Aberman. Coming up, the only person in the history of the country to have held both the title of Director of the FBI and Director of Central Intelligence, Bill Webster. It's important to have a few people around who keep reminding us that we are a government of laws, not of people, but of laws, that we respect the law, the laws are there. The Constitution is enormously respected, but sometimes not well understood. And the other half of this power couple, Linda Webster. You know, the CIA and the FBI, their missions changed somewhat. I mean, the CIA was somewhat the same, but the FBI had to do a quick pivot. And many other agencies suddenly had to change and focus more on terrorism and drop some of the other things, or at least sideline some of the other things that, on which they were working. And we have John Cofrancesco with his column, What the Fed? At its height in the mid-2000s, the CFC was generating a quarter of a billion dollars of charitable giving every single year. But then, 2013 struck, and we went all the way from a quarter of a billion down to a mere 200 million. And since then, it has had a precipitous drop year over year, sometimes losing more than 10 percent. Washington, D.C. has two interesting hallmarks as a community, as far as I'm concerned. The first is that since the Second World War, our region has clearly been a place where intelligent, ambitious women can build careers both within government and outside of government. The second is that because of the larger percentage of successful women in our community, there's very much the phenomenon of what I'll call the power couple, a marriage where both partners are accomplished and professionally engaged. And that has seemed to me over the years to be very much a backbone of a region's business and social structure. With that in mind, I thought it'd be interesting today to learn a bit about this phenomenon from one of our region's power couples. Linda Webster is founder of the Webster Group, a prominent connector and organizer of many of a region's most impactful not-for-profit efforts. And Judge William Webster, a former federal judge and director of both the FBI and CIA. And to this day, he remains the only person to have held both positions. Linda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. And Judge Webster, thank you as well. Pleasure. Well, let's start at the beginning. Linda, how did you come to D.C. and eventually end up where you are now as an an entrepreneur running the Webster Group? (laughs) Well, like many of your listeners, I didn't plan it that way. I was in graduate school at a wonderful place called Thunderbird in Arizona studying international business. And I had planned, hoped to be a CIA agent, actually. And I was recruited to come to Washington, take the tests. I even got as far as the security clearance. Thought I had aced everything, but found out a few weeks later that I was rejected. So I didn't get in. And tail between the legs, I sought plan B, and that was uh, the hotel industry. So I embarked in what was about 15 years in the hotel industry, opening on the opening team of the Willard and Four Seasons, et cetera. And that led me to meet Judge Webster at a symphony function. And uh, about 10 years later, after I'd come to Washington, I married the director of the CIA. So as many of us, No, life does not necessarily take us the way we plan, but sometimes it's even better. 
It must have been a somewhat amusing moment when you thought to yourself, I came here to work at the CA and I, and I married the, the fellow that, that runs it. Does that sort of, as you talk with friends, is that a quintessential D.C. moment? I still pinch myself and I say, well, if you can't go in the front door, you go in the back door. <laughs> it worked out okay. I'm I, I proud think... to have had an affiliation with the agency, although just as a spouse. Bill, how about you? How did a Missouri-born lawyer end up here in D.C.? Well, I suppose because it was where I came to work, and uh, that was uh, some years ago, and uh, I was very happily engaged as a direct, as a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit, which is by six states in Midwest, Missouri, and uh, the situation came along where uh, President Carter was looking for a new director of the FBI, and for some reason or other, uh, he thought I would be the right person. So uh, that's how I happened to get the opportunity to come. I wasn't sure at the time uh, that I wanted to do it. Uh, I was very much interested in the FBI, but um, I also loved being on the federal bench and doing the work of significant responsibilities. And I talked to some people that I respected, uh, one being the Chief Justice of the United States at that time, who thought I was, was that, isn't that a dead end? And I said, well, why, why would it be a dead end? He said, well, you are a judge for life, and this, this is a 10-year term <laughs> to be director of the FBI. And that shook me up, and then I talked to uh, another one friend who was Solicitor General of the United States, who I respected very much, a prominent African-American, and he said, well, I can't make a make reference to you, but if you ever wanted to make a significant contribution to your country, I can't think of a better time or place than this one. At that point, there were some difficulties going on, and that was enough for me. And it's always struck me that, and you're both indicative of this, you come here because you want to serve, and then we sort of take root. As you've gone through your careers and you interact with the people, how much of a common attribute is that in our community, that people come here to serve and then somehow take root and become part of the community? Is it, is it pretty common? Oh, I think so. I think of the time we spent here in various careers and just so many interesting people drawn to this community. You, you don't come here to be a slug. Usually. <laughs> right. uh, there's just so much. And, you know, one thing leads to another. I, I came here to work for CIA and ended up opening a company that does, and we're a special events company. And we started off because I cared a lot about nonprofit events, wanted to help them raise money. Neither Webster could write a big check, but I thought if we could help them raise money. So as a result, I met so many people in the nonprofit world. And then, of course, we now do corporate and other events. But seeing so many incredible people working for very little financial reward, but making a difference in the United States, in this community, or around the world, it, it's, it's, it's stimulating. It's, it's, it's exciting. And every time we think about going somewhere else, we think, what would we do? Hmm. There's just so many interesting people here. And I think another thing that defines this region that I see pretty frequently is, is two career couples. I see a lot of that here. What, what do you think it is about our, our community that, that really encourages this? What do you think, Sport? I don't think I have an easy answer for that. I know in my own experience that the, the things that draw you toward one person and toward another have to do with common interests, personalities, character, all those other things. And Washington is full of interesting people, especially if they came to serve. You know, it's funny for me. I, I was before I moved down here. I was um, I was a deal lawyer up in New York, doing the the very the New York hardcore partner law firm. At the time, I was uh, dating, uh, who's now my wife, uh, was dating somebody who worked in the 
Clinton administration and in the uh, um, FTC. And so it was easier for me to move down here to get married, you know, than it was for her to move up to New York. And I remember explaining to New Yorkers that I was moving to Washington to marry my wife and they couldn't understand why a man would leave town and move for, for a spouse. And, and But yet I would explain that to people here who thought it was the most natural thing in the world. Exactly. Right, Linda. Right, I mean, you're, right. you're, you know, exactly. is that one of the hallmarks of our system? Is this one of the reasons why I, this is just a better place to be a professional woman? It just, it I think just I'm struck by that. Here, I mean, everybody's. I mean, at least in our world, people are engaged in lots of things, and it. You have to give, and you have to marry somebody who's willing to, you know, work with you. And uh, I tried to get George Bush, President Bush, to uh, move CIA up to Boston where I was living. And, uh, <laughs> otherwise, I would have stayed in Boston, and Bill would have moved up with me. But I, I couldn't get that to happen. You couldn't get that to happen. Couldn't get that to happen. <laughs> How hard did you try? <laughs> Not too hard, maybe over a glass of wine, but it, it didn't work. But at any rate, but people are learning that flexibility is key. I mean, even in the government now, we. You, we were talking to uh, talking to actually Susan Pompeo the other day at a luncheon uh, held for her, and she was talking about the improvements our government is making so that couples can move together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the old days, the spouse followed her husband, and now, of course, you've got couples both working in government in foreign lands. So I think the government and businesses are trying real hard to make it work, at least in this town I see it, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming other places. We strive to do what Barbara and George Bush once said in a book. You know, both members of the of the marriage need to go sixty percent. Hmm. You know, and I think that's a, a a good mantra. And not that we achieve it, but some days Bill goes sixty, and sometimes I go sixty, and um, some days he goes seventy five. So <laughs> it works. It just works. I'm here with Linda Webster and Judge William Webster. We're talking about. Uh, life in D.C. is power couple and just generally being part of growing the community here. When we come back after the break, I want to talk a bit about how we compare a community today to where it's been, say, over the last 20 years and some lessons we might be able to draw. So we'll be right back after this break. Coming up after the break. It's important to have a few people around who keep reminding us that we are a government of laws, not of people, but of laws, that we respect the law. The laws are there. The Constitution is enormously respected, but sometimes not well understood. You know, the CIA and the FBI, their missions changed somewhat. I mean, the CIA was somewhat the same, but the FBI had to do a quick pivot, and many other agencies suddenly had to change and focus more on terrorism and drop some of the other things, or at least sideline some of the other things that, on which they're working. And we have John Cofrancesco with his column, What the Fed? At its height in the mid-2000s, the CFC was generating a quarter of a billion dollars of charitable giving every single year. But then 2013 struck, and we went all the way from a quarter of a billion down to a mere 200 million. And since then, it is at a precipitous drop year over year, sometimes losing more than 10%. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. 
Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. ideas for the show come from you, our listeners. We get lots of local people who get things done getting in touch with us. We tell the stories that prove that the D.C. region is more than the politics the country associates with us. The D.C. region is creative, innovative, forward-thinking, and it's fun. If you know someone who exemplifies those things, reach out. On Twitter, look for at What's Working D.C. Next, we're talking with Linda Webster and Judge William Webster. We seem to be, towns, I've been here since 78. It seems the town really changed. And Linda, during the break, we started to talk some about this. Is it 9-11? Was that sort of a, a break point, do you think, and for our region? And Well, I think there are several things you could look at of why we've changed. I mean, some people go as far back as the Kennedy Center. That added an element of sophistication, brought a lot of culture. In our life, at least in my life, uh, 9-11 was pivotal. I, my company was privileged to work with the family board in, in raising the money and doing a lot of the events around the 9-11 memorial. I also saw in Bill's life, you know, the CIA and the FBI, their missions changed somewhat. I mean, the CIA was somewhat the same, but the FBI had to do a quick pivot. And many other agencies suddenly had to change and focus more on terrorism and drop some of the other things, or at least sideline some of the other things that, on which they're working. So I think for, for at least me and, and for our family, that changed a lot because for years we were involved with 9-11 related things. Bill, what if you've been part of this community for a while, you've had a lot of different roles. Give us uh, your chronology. You came here, you, you joined the FBI, that was your first job here. What did you do after that? Well, I was I was here for nine years at the FBI, and we went through a number of experiences and challenges, and uh, enormous respect, and still have enormous respect for the FBI and what it stands for. President Reagan asked me to move over to CIA, which was going through some changes and other things, and to take it over and to utilize the experience that I'd had. At as a judge and as an FBI director, which I did. After that, uh, I was back in private practice and responding to occasional uh, assignments, uh, such as one I've had for several years as chairman of the Homeland Security Advisory Council. These are opportunities to do something worthwhile, uh, to build on the experience that you've had, and fundamentally to advance the, what we like to think about our government 
that it's a government of, by, and for the people, and that I'm particularly focused on the rule of law and how it affects people's lives and how it needs to be fostered and protected. And that you do that in various ways, by law enforcement, by gathering intelligence, both pro and con on people, on what uh, could affect people's lives, and then uh, other issues that, that come where your experience is helpful in reaching sensible solutions for the American people. We've talked about service. You just mentioned rule of law. I, I want to get your thoughts on it. the difference in tone in the political situation, the, the division we see right now. I mean, how, how do we find our way through this and find our way to governing principles like service and rule of law? It's very, it seems very hard to me right now. Well, it's apt to be. It depends a lot on, and I'm not pointing my finger in any direction, but it depends a lot on the leadership, the elected leadership of our government and uh, what their principles are or lack of them or differences of how to approach them. But I think it's important to have a few people around who keep reminding us that we are a government of laws, not of people, but of laws, that we respect the law. The laws are there. The Constitution is enormously respected, but sometimes not well understood. And the more that we can do to make that clear, it's not just the role of the courts. The courts have a tremendous responsibility in deciding issues of that kind. But generally, the bringing American people to uh, focus on what's best for them under the rule of law as announced in decisions of the courts and other places. Now, we're not talking about what I find sometimes when people talk about rule of law, what they're suggesting uh, – is I want to use the rule of law to further my own particular agenda. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's sort of the people that screen the loudest about rule of law often aren't interested in the rule of law. What you're talking about is is law and rules as being a, an objective sense of right and wrong, something that's larger than a particular person. That's true. But it's also a way of coming to decisions, to coming to issues where people may disagree or people may agree, but how to do it in a proper way that is consistent with the Constitution that's served us so well for X hundred years. And that's where an understanding of the law and its principles becomes very important and a respect for that. Sometimes we may not want to do something for our personal reasons, but the rule of law dictates a different direction should be taken. Linda, I, you've been part of this community as well. You you came here to serve. You see various people in different capacities. How do you think we're doing on um, communicating the sense of an objective right and wrong or, or there being fundamental guiding principles as you interact with people in the business community here or, you know, younger folks that you're running across with and you're, you know, with your various hats on at the Webster Group? Well, I like to think of myself as the eternal optimist, but right now I think I'd give us a C on, on that one. And I'm not sure, I don't think anybody has the magic bullet on what we might do to, to change things. I think Bill hit the point on uh, leadership, uh, aspiring leadership to say, hey, folks, let's come together I worry a little bit about this area. It's, it's, it's an exciting, amazing area. But I think because there's just so many people coming in and out of it, maybe we don't ever, maybe we'll never have a chance to be a, a Chicago or a, a New York or a St. Louis and feel the community bond that, that it, other, other cities enjoy. That said, because we have so many interesting, hardworking, 
smart people, I think we can still get a lot of things done. I miss the community feel. That I, although I have to say, thank goodness for our, our sports teams. That seems to have uh, brought us all together. So It's interesting. I, I think that uh, in some ways we suffer because we're three geographies. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you hit it on the head. Do you get the sense, though, that, you know, back in the late 70s when uh, when I first came here to college, it felt like a very transit community. People would come in for an administration and then they, mm-hmm. they'd leave. Now, maybe it's because I spend most of my time in entrepreneurship and, and business and economic development, but it seems like people stay here longer now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a great <laughs> place to be. You haven't retired. We were talking about this during the break. You, you didn't yeah. go back to St. Louis, Judge Webster. No. You stayed here. Well, in fact, one of the reasons we didn't go back, I think, is, is something worth noting Bill does not look 96, but, he, but he, his next birthday, he will be 96, yet he's still an active member of the community. I have to credit Milbank, his law firm, for hiring him, bringing him in long after most lawyers were retired because they know that people like my husband and others in this community have a lot to add to the discussion, not only of law in his case, but in the community. And a lot of towns, a lot of cities don't seem to value the elder statesman or, or the older person as much as we do here in Washington. And that's one of the reasons we stayed. And I think it's the reason a lot of people we know have stayed because they can still participate. Their views and their experience are richly valued. Contextual meaning is so important if we're going to survive mm-hmm. as a democracy. And if you don't pay attention to those that have developed experience. You're just in a sea of nonsense, I think. Exactly. History matters. History does matter. Before I let you go, I just have one small question. Bill, I'll start with you. What advice would you give to our young listeners who are thinking about getting getting ready to marry a career-focused woman? (laughs) (laughs) Learn to cook. Well, I I think that would be, that kind of advice is difficult to give in a structured way. People, uh, I'm not, you're asking me a question about romance or versus professional activity. These things all work their way out. But I think I'm not used to a tough question like that. <laughs> so after all these years and the way you've kept the country safe for so many years, we finally found a question that was too hard to answer. <laughs> I love it. I, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say we hit hard journalism here, what's working in Washington, but I, I hope you feel like you're among friends. It well, was great Liz having you here. and I have been, been wrestling together for 29 years, and it's always a new experience and a good one. <laughs> well, I must say, seeing you both here in the studio with me today, your affection for each other is, is obvious and your respect. And, and I think that's the most important thing for all of us is, is, is to model and, and look out for each other, whether it's our spouses or, or friends. There's always an opportunity to learn. And Linda, I, I like your 60% idea. I, I think just giving a little bit extra to, to be accommodating is probably wonderful life advice for all of well, us. Well, I stole it from a couple that did pretty well in marriage, so uh, I won't take the credit for it. But I think, it, I think it's good advice for everyone. And I think patience. I mean, just good old-fashioned patience sometimes. You'll take a deep breath and say, we'll figure the schedule out or we'll we'll work out dinner or something, whatever things come up or the travel schedules. I mean, it's just take a deep breath and patience. Take a deep breath. I think those are words to live by. Linda Webster and Judge William Webster, it was great having you. Judge Webster, thanks for coming. Privilege. Thank you. Linda Webster, thank you very much. And now, What the Fed with technologist John Cofrancesco. 
If you work for the federal government, it's not for the money. You're doing it because you believe in the mission. You're a patriot. You love this country, and you want to contribute. One of the best parts about being a federal employee is the combined federal campaign. Most people don't know this, but the combined federal campaign, CFC, is the largest workplace giving organization in the world. It started in the 50s under Eisenhower and was solidified in the 60s under JFK. And since then, it has been the primary mechanism by which federal employees donate to upwards of 20,000 charities. At its height in the mid-2000s, the CFC was generating a quarter of a billion dollars of charitable giving every single year. But then 2013 struck, and we went all the way from a quarter of a billion down to a mere 200 million. And since then, it has had a precipitous drop year over year, sometimes losing more than 10%. Last year, we only managed to raise $90 million. There's a tendency to believe that organizations as large as the CFC just continue on their own, but they don't. They require people to commit to them, people to buy into the mission. You're a federal employee. You've already bought in. This is the year that we bring the CFC back to a quarter of a billion. That was What the Fed with technologist John Cofrancesco. Thank you to our sponsor, the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn about how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. We believe there's such a need for authentic information that's positive and useful. You know, there are many, many people here in the D.C. region who get up every day and just get after creating new things and are committed to making our community better. My producer, Tracy Madigan, and I speak with people every day that tell us amazing stories of, that they want to share about the progress they're making, the things that they care about, and why they're proud to be part of the greater Washington community. You're going to meet many of them on this show. That's what working in Washington really means to us. Now more than ever, I feel that a positive voice is needed in our society, our communities. We need to make sure that we reach each other and that we work together. And we'll do our best to make sure that we're genuine and every show provides you with useful insights. Our ideas for the show come from you, our listeners. We get lots of local people who get things done get it in touch with us. We tell the stories that prove that the D.C. region is more than the politics the country associates with us. The D.C. region is creative, innovative, forward-thinking, and it's fun. If you know someone who exemplifies those things, reach out. On Twitter, look for at What's Working D.C. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, The Sunbathers, and my own band, Two Car Living Room. A special shout-out to Marymount University School of Business and Technology. I'm the dean there now, and we are working hard to help our students master business and technology so it doesn't master them. Check us out at marymount.edu. And, of course, thanks to Active Navigation, Sarefloor Shaw, and the Greater Washington Board of Trade who provide the financial support to make this show possible. If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us.
You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at 2.30 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 